This episode of Tales from Ostlantis is brought to you by Ostlantis Premium. Don't you just hate having your favorite podcast interrupted by ads like this? Well, dear listener, you're in luck. Because starting at just three bucks a month, you can support independent Chicano media and receive ad-free episodes, premium episodes, bonus content, and access to our Discord server. Just visit talesfromastlantis.com and click Go Premium, or follow the link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. You must excuse me. I've grown quite weary. This hasn't been easy, I know. But you've learned a lesson. A lesson in honesty. Honesty to yourself and honesty to others. That lesson will stand you in good stead all your life. I think we've all learned a good lesson. I've always heard that honesty is the best policy. Now I'm catching on to why that's so, and why that's so, and why that's so. And why that's Greetings, so. dear listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Tales from Astlantis. I am your host, Curly Tlapoyawa, Ruben Ariano Tlacatecat. Could not make it. He is busy with duties associated with the university, so... Unfortunately, he could not be here today, but I'm here flying solo, and today we have a very special guest, my good friend and boss also, interestingly enough. So I better mind my P's and Q's, Miguel Puga. Miguel Puga is a storyboard supervisor, director, and creative producer on The Casa Grandes. He previously served as a storyboard supervisor on The Loud House and was also a storyboard artist on Breadwinners, Shimmer and Shine, and the last two seasons of The Fairly Odd Parents, which is like one of my kids' favorite shows when they were little. So props for that. I really liked that show too. Uh, outside of Nickelodeon, other cartoons he has worked on include Pink Panther and Pals, Futurama, The Looney Tunes Show, Gravity Falls, and Clarence. So, Miguel Puga, we are glad to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I wish I had a cooler voice to, to hop in on this. <laughs> you make it sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta work on it. You should do some voice acting, Curly. <laughs> I want to, interestingly enough, oddly enough. So we met because you reached out on Facebook, I think. You had seen some of the the Café con Nahuatl videos or some of the historical videos that I had done on YouTube. And you sent a a message and that's how we... uh, we came to know each other and we're, we're working now on two projects, two super top secret projects that hopefully we'll be able to talk about in the near future that they get announced. Yeah, we got a couple of things cooking up and uh, one of them, uh, two of like we've been working on this project for a while, which is something very personal uh, with me. And I'm glad I, I reached out to you and I, I scorched the earth trying to find like all right who's the perfect you know perfect person for this role to help me um understand and learn and 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 make sure i get things right and not just like make things up on the way or just put a blanket over you know the mess of american culture mm-hmm. just like hey we're, we're gonna do a specific thing let's do this 
if we make up a, a different culture just just for in case we need to do it at least we're going to be borrowing things that that are still true to today that we're still using and you're you're, you're teaching me all this great stuff about you know the purepecha and, and all different um peoples across mexico and it's it's been an awesome ride and you know that's just one project. It's been so That's just fun. one project. And then we have another one that's been, you know, we're already, you know, halfway through production on it at Nickelodeon. And it's very exciting. And that's another homage to, uh, I guess I could say this, to to, to my family and to Mitchell Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been so cool and so fun, too, because... You know, when I was a kid, I would watch, uh, you know, all of the Charlie Brown specials and I would see that name pop up, Bill Melendez. And I'm like, man, Bill Melendez, who's that guy? You know, but, you know, we didn't have the Internet back then. This was like I was really, really young, but it it put this uh, fire in me like, wow, man, there's. There's like, because as far as I knew, he was a Chicano, right? Like I saw the name and I was like, oh man, there's like a Chicano working on peanuts. That's really cool. And um, it just, you know, sparked this interest to, uh, to always work in animation. But, you know, there, I never had the outlet, right? There, there was no um, software available back then. You know, we didn't have a computer. We were years and years and years away of ever owning a computer in my family. And I had, aside from creating the little um, flip books, you know, to learn how to do animation, that was like the extent of of anything I had ever done with animation. So now being able to to work, you know, in the industry and like have a hand in it and, and have it be something so cool too, right? That's like directly related to our culture. That's really exciting. So thank you very much for that opportunity. It's been super cool. But speaking of inspirations, I wanted to ask you, so how did you get started? Like what was the uh what was the impetus of your uh you know, your career? What sparked it? I mean, just being around family and culture and just seeing how art is a big thing in our community. It's cuz I'm from Boyle Heights, East LA. So, I grew up with all the the murals at the um the the I'm gonna call them VNE projects because I don't know what they're actually called. Um, <clears throat> but if you go down Eighth Street, it's a very, very famous. Oh, I'm sorry, go down Olympic, it's a very famous um, uh, mural section with with all the projects, and and they've been around since like the 70s or maybe late 60s. Um, so I've been ar- around art my entire life, even with my cousins. Uh, you know, they had like their, their cholo tattoos and, you know, I always knew like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, arts around us. I want to do art. I had cousins that were already artists uh, when I was a kid and they would do like things here and there, um, just drawing on paper or, or, or helping out and painting some windows at like at shops and stuff. Uh, but they always used it as like a job it wasn't something that like hey you know this is fun or whatever but for me you know i i could sit down as a kid you know you know one thing i remember my dad saying is i could sit you down with a full stack of white paper 
and a pencil and an eraser and a sharpener, leave you there for hours. And I, I still love that. And when I didn't have that, my dad would give me La Opinion, the, you know, the newspaper. Yeah. And I would trace with the, with the, with the ink pen, just the pictures. And I, I would have spent hours there just chasing all those, all those uh, pictures that you found in the opinion. Because I don't know whatever paper they were using, it was way better than anything that we had with the LA Times. So it just it felt cool. And I started like cutting out those pages and putting them up. Uh, um, and I, you know, I, I kind of I, I grew up in a rough neighborhood in the '90s, and there was a lot of gang activity and shootings and. So one thing that my parents try to do was keep us indoors and, you know, like try to keep us safe. But we did have one comic book store in East LA. It's no longer there anymore. Um, but I remember riding my bike there and buying my first comic when I was like seven or eight with my brother. Uh, we, we actually snuck out and, and rode our bikes and there was a drive-by that same time. Damn. So it was very scary, and it was just like, yeah, we're never going to do it again. We did it again, like the next month. But it was something that I just, I just fell in love with the comic books. I fell in love with the cartoons, and I knew um, right away that I wanted to draw. You know, I, you know, like in kinder, every kid draws. In preschool, every kid draws. But it's those that stick with it that you know they 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 just like doodle. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you doodle, it's and I, I know currently you draw too. So like when you doodle, it's like it, you kind of zone out, and it, it helps me relax, and it helped me relax as a kid. So I, I always saw that I was like, you know, as I do this, I realized that I was making people laugh or smile with my drawings, uh, and I think that was the first spark where I was like, oh, this is cool, like. Uh, maybe I could do this for a living. I didn't know what it was. I, I knew, I knew about Disney. I knew about like you know, watching Peanuts, all those Peanuts specials, and that was one of the first things I noticed too. Was Bill Melendez's name? I was like, I was like, hey, he's just like us. And I remember watching it Thanksgiving Day here at, uh, at my grandmother's house with my family, and everyone was like, you know, doing their own thing. When that sh- show came on, they all stopped and laughed and watched it, and. I was just like, I want to do this. I want to make people laugh. Uh, and I don't know if that's part of me being the youngest kid that I just seek attention, but I, I always wanted to do that. And I'm glad I'm doing it now because I'm making, you know, kids laugh. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for uh, now that I work on the Casa Grandes, it, it was always fun to kind of go back and see like, how did we do things? How did we handle holidays or what did we do differently? You know, like, you know, it's just like a bridge into the Latino home or, or Mexican American home. Um, and that was always the best part is collaborating with other, you know, people of color in the industry. And we got to bounce ideas off of each other and just finding out what different cultures do. And what also, uh, what, how similar our other cultures could be with ours, and especially the chancla. You know, the chancla yeah. is universal. <laughs> if you don't like, if you see a chancla, if you see someone holding up a chancla, you know what's coming next. Yeah. <laughs> do you um? Do you remember what comic books you were really into when you were a kid? Yeah, Spider Man. Um, yeah. So i I remember picking up a 
a well, I was I grew up loving Spider Man. I have no idea why, but my mom put on some pajamas, Spider Man pajamas. I never took them off. Um, Spider Man, Superman, but the first comic I actually bought was the Street Fighter comic in like '93, <laughs> and I was just like, "Whoa, this is cool!" I didn't know like you could draw this, like the eyes, how the characters look cool. And then I started buying more more Spider Man comics, and that's where I kind of fell in love with Spider Man. I think I don't know. I think it's the fact that Peter Parker like grew up poor. Yeah. <laughs> that like and was like really into school because I was a nerdy kid so I just kind of associated with Peter Parker and fantasized like because it could be anybody under that mask right like anybody yeah. could be Spider-Man yeah. and I had the um, the Spider-Man underoos um, <laughs> you know what underoos yeah. were <laughs> and uh, we lived in a trailer park so trailers are tiny man I I I always tell my wife, I'm like, I'll do anything in this life that it takes, but I really don't want to ever have to live in a trailer again because I, I grew up in trailers. But the hall was so tiny that you could like wedge yourself on the side and climb up the walls. And so I was doing like all this crazy Ninja Warrior stuff in, <laughs> throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the trailer wearing Spider-Man underoos. So nice. yeah, I love Spidey. Spidey's hands down my favorite. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you picked up your Mexica calendar for the year 12 Flint? Or how about a paperback copy of The Four Disagreements? Just visit talesfromastlantis.com for all the latest merchandise and show some love for your favorite podcast. That's talesfromastlantis.com for all the latest merchandise. Now, back to the show. Is that is um, that your origin to being a stuntman, <laughs> Spider-Man underoos? Yeah, I guess right. Um, that and uh, the Fall Guy. I don't know if you ever used to watch the Fall Guy. No, you're you're way younger than me. There was a TV show in the '80s uh, called The Fall Guy about a, a stuntman named Colt Seaver who drove this badass truck, and he also. Um, you know, he would work on the side as like, I, I think he was like a, de- a private detective or he was a, uh, you know, a, a bondsman, somebody that would go out and uh, a bounty hunter, I guess they call them. So, but watching that was like, wow, that's awesome. And then I would try to mimic the stuff that I, you know, if he did something cool on a motorcycle, I would jump on my bike and try to do it. Oh, and everybody thought that I was really bad at riding a bike because I was <laughs> falling off of it all the time. <laughs> And I'm like, man, this kid sucks at riding a bike. It's not right with Curly anymore. Yeah. That's it. Oh, that's funny. That's that's cool. I wonder if that's what Drive, the movie, was kind of loosely based off of. Yeah, well, Drive, which is one of my favorite movies, um, it's really similar to a movie that came out in the 70s called The Driver, uh, which if if... The listeners haven't seen it. They should check it out because it's a pretty awesome movie. So you you grew up, you're into Spider-Man. And I'm like, did you go to college? Like, was that your your plan? You were like, I'm going to go to college or, or an art and design school and learn how to do illustration and animation? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to draw. And, you know, my parents would ship us out. I wouldn't say ship us out, but my brother and I, will we would, and my family, will go to, uh, Michoacan every summer, every winter, 
with the family and that was like I was in between of like do I want to be a firefighter an archaeologist or do you want to I want to work in art and it was what the, the best the coolest thing was going to Mexico and seeing my cousins already you know I was I was must I must have been like 15 when it finally hit me was seeing all my cousins going off to college in Mexico and some of them were going to Europe and some of them were going to, you know, Canada and they're all taking like different courses. Some were taking, like they did everything. They did painting, they did animation art. They did, you know, some were going to school for math. Some were going for school for uh, economics and all, all, all this stuff that I was like, I couldn't wrap my head around, but they would all sit down and paint. And I was like, man, like I, it was, I'm way behind if I, I need to sit down and paint. So that was like my, that summer I spent a lot of time drawing and painting. You know, I, I can't paint now, but I learned a few things here and there. But one of the, the best things that I got to paint was in Michoacan, in the, the town that my parents are from. It's called Hakona, which is right next door to uh, Samora. There's this big giant hill. It's called El Curutaran. And people always say like, hey, that's a pyramid. You know, but luckily they no, you know, they, they've gone inside and checked. They found a lot of artifacts. They found a lot of, like some of this, Curly, some of the stuff you sent pictures of, like that stuff that, you know, I walked up there and I, I just grabbed it and I put it in my mm -hmm. pocket and I brought it home. And then my aunt had <laughs> made me throw it away because like, that could be cursed. Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> but that was one of the first things that, um, I realized, I was like, this is cool. And I, I was drawing everything. I was drawing like the steps that I found, like a lot of these swirls, like uh, it's mm -hmm. uh, uh, a swirls, which it looks like you, uh, the first thing you see is like, well, what is this? It, it kind of looks like the fifth element um, kind of things that they use at the end of the kind of, I forgot what happens at the end, but they use it. They have to blow sweat, you know, sand, wind. Um, and I remember drawing that stuff and drawing just like people and the people around there. And I was like, all right, I got to decide. I was at the, you know, at the crossroads, like, right, what do I want to do? If I'm an arch, if I go that archaeologist route, I know I can still draw, you know, I can still draw, or do I want to make people laugh and, you know, uh, have fun and not sit in the sun? Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there's something I, to be said for that. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I always had that in mind that I always wanted to draw um, in some way or form. And I even looked into being a, a police artist sketch, a sketch oh, wow. artist. Yeah. I, you know, that's one of the things that, um, you know, I, we had the opportunity to have people come and talk to us about career day, but it was mostly jobs that you could get east side of uh los angeles so it's being a cop being you know or a fire like you know like the the first responder stuff or mm -hmm. um you know being a a a mechanic being uh uh you know like a mechanic at nasa which is still cool but it, it was one of those things like hey you know you could get work in the east side of uh la where like you know that's where we call like real jobs are um but I always kind of knew I wanted to be like, I want to work in Hollywood. Like, how do I get mm -hmm. a job over there? 
I didn't know what was or what kind of work it was, but I knew like from watching, you know, all the Disney uh, uh, shows and all the behind the scenes stuff that you got to see, especially growing up watching Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. Sometimes they had these uh, interstitials of like, hey, this is how we make the cartoon. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I want to see I want to work in that. Um, so yeah, for me, it was, um, the book, the art of star Wars. Oh, nice. My mom bought me that book at a yard sale. And if, if you've ever seen it, it has the entire script. It has all the concept art. It has how they, they built the models and that just blew my mind. Like, wow. Okay. So this is how they do it. But at the time, I was I didn't know that each one was like a different department. I thought if you were making movies, you did all of that stuff, right? Yeah. So you had to know how to build all the models. You had to know how to do special effects. You had to know how to draw storyboards. And I'm like, man, that's a lot of work. That, that's exactly what, what – like I, I guess when I was 15, I was like, all right, I got to learn how to do backgrounds. I got to learn how to paint. Um, I got to learn how to film. So <clears throat> when I was 15, I was trying to – consume everything that I could, but I was kind of burning myself out too, because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I need to do. I just want to draw. So luckily, um, we had this um, <clears throat> this program called, like uh, I can't remember what the actual name is, but it's to show kids to stop smoking or not smoke. And you got to animate uh, like, a, like a, you know, 30 second piece for one day with you know, and you you built you have a team of artists. And I was so excited. This is middle, like this is in middle school, right? He goes, I want to do that. I'm excited. Like I I know that's what I want to get into. And one of my English teachers told me, No, you're fine. You don't need to go do that. Like oh, you, you don't want to be a starving artist. And like that, <laughs> that, that that like you know, it it motivated me more. To be like, I'm gonna show that teacher that I'm not gonna be a star. I'm like, I'm gonna show them that I'm gonna work in this industry. And then, you know, fast forward uh, three years later, my senior year at, in high school, that program comes back. And right away, I told my teacher, I was like, I wanna do this. This is what I wanna do. He goes, If I don't do this, I'm gonna go and talk to the principal. I'm gonna talk to whoever I need to talk to. <laughs> and they're like, No, yeah, dude, of course. Like, go ahead do it and this is already me like turning in homework and doing some doodles trying to mm-hmm. hope get extra credit um but i i got to learn and i got to work with who i thought were like actual animators but they're all college students but still they kind of talked to me and they 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 pointed me in the right direction i was like yeah you, you know you 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 have what it takes you just got to draw more i think one of the, the instructors told me like you got to draw a lot and don't show those drawings to anyone. And I, I didn't understand. I was like, well, how am I going to get better if I'm not going to show them to people? Like, how are they not going to critique me? But it took years for me to kind of realize like, yeah, you're right. You need to have like, you need to get rid of those a thousand drawings inside of you in order to get to that thousand and one. Be like, all right, now I know what I'm doing. And that helped me out a lot because I would carry sketchbooks out, draw, close my book. I even had like cousins like, hey, what are you drawing? I was like, no, no, I'm not drawing anything. <laughs> but down the line, like all my primos and friends, like, hey, draw this tattoo, draw this tattoo. It got to the point, I was like, all right, fine. 
things. Um, if I draw it for you, I'm gonna, you know, you gotta pay me for it. Because at the time, I was like, I was at the point where this was already after high school. I was like, I could do tattoos, you know, and I saved up enough money doing these drawings. Like I was draw, drawing like, you know, Zapata or, or Pancho Villa, black and white. Uh, and I tried to shade because one of my cousins showed me how to shade. For his, he was in prison. So nice. Like, oh, yeah. So this is how you, I, I wasn't that good. But Did you ever do any uh, laugh now, cry laters? I did. I did a few of those. Um, and then what's funny enough, a lot of Chuckies from Rugrats. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, I started doing tattoos and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to learn from um, watching videos and and I I took an apprentice course at this tattoo shop for a day because then after he asked me, I had to pay him $6,000 to take a longer course for a year. And I was like, I don't have that money. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like 18. Um, so I, my plan was to work, but... I just started doing tattoos on my friends and neighbors and you know like they they're probably just a step below like the the prison tattoos because they were all kind of crooked i drew a garcia on my um neighbor's back and it was just like (laughs) (laughs) um well you can't see it yeah and like all the the lines were all hatched and then you know that's when i i realized like you know what i need to find i need to go to college i need to um, get into this industry because this is I knew I wanted to work in animation but it wasn't until I was you know I, I my goal was always like animation I didn't know how to do it so I got a job at Disneyland one of my uncles got me a job there and I was a bar back at a hotel and I was like maybe this could be my step into this industry and you know talking to some of the leads and everything I was like this is my ultimate goal and the awesome what are you doing here like you know you're not gonna draw here. I was like, yeah. Don't you guys have like people drawing over there? I was like, yeah. But go talk to them, and they'll tell you. Like, you know, that's they just draw these characters all day long, and like you should see their hands that they run it under hot water. Because um, if you go to any of the shops, like one of the shops at Disneyland, like you could buy original art by some of the artists working there. And some now, even now, like if you walk into one of the, um, as soon as you walk in to Disneyland to your right there's uh an area where they're still drawing and you can still go in there and buy that stuff which i always thought was awesome especially going to disneyland i was like that's so cool i always thought they were actually animating like mm-hmm. movies and stuff but then like they realized like no it's just they're just drawing that character um and then they move on to another character i was like oh okay but i, I think the thing that really sparked me the sparked my idea to like i know what i want to do was watching samurai jack um, yeah, on that show that that was dope. Yeah, that 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 show just blew my mind. And like after the first episode, I I I you know I looked into going to college, and I think the next week I I you know I, I begged my parents, and I was like, I want to go to this college. You know, this is uh, it was the Art Institute of Los Angeles in Santa Monica, and I had like a, I didn't make a portfolio I just had a sketchbook with some of my best art I tore some of the other pages and put them all in there so when I showed it to them I was like I want to work I want to come here I want to learn animation and this was a red flag but I didn't know that you know it at this time the 
the the person that was looking through my art, he said, "Wow, this is really good. You can actually draw." And he's like, "You're way better than any of the kids here that I've seen this year." And like that was to me, that was like, "Holy cow, that's cool!" Um, and that was one of my first steps of like realizing, like, "All right, I, you know, I, I know I got to work harder." And and you know, chalegganes like the the women mm-hmm. I would always say, it. and. And I, I did like every every opportunity I I, I had was <clears throat> I, I never saw it as like I was competing with anybody else more than just myself. I always try to outdo what I already done. So I always had that mentality of like, all right, I could outdo myself the, for the next round. And you know that that's something that I, I still carry on today. That I'm always trying to be. Uh, a step above of what I did before. So, like, I'm never yeah. trying to plateau. I'm always climbing up, and it's always something like I, I always tell my artists and I always tell the my coworkers is, you know, if you feel like you're plateauing, like you always have room to learn. Like, play around. Like, don't don't just like give up and just like, oh, I, I you know, like I was thinking of doing this, but I didn't do it. It's like, no, do it, pitch it. You know that's one of the best things about working in animation. It's like we're all collaborating. And if we, if an idea sparks in you, go ahead and do it because that's where the best ideas come from. And and one, that's one thing that I got to learn as an artist was like, hey, if I draw Scooby Doo this way, what if I draw him? You know, what if I add this or what if I add this eyeball? And that's what a lot of the best thing is like you, you learn from different artists and you just combine it. And you, you kind of like, I like this joke from Samurai Jack, but also like this joke from, you know, Charlie Brown. And he was like, what if we did something like this? And that's like the whole, you know, Samurai Jack. It's very UPA, but very action. So it's like a, it's, it's like a menudo pot of all the best stuff into one show. What What's UPA for the listeners? Oh, that's so UPA is like the style of show, like very uh, Flintstones, uh, uh, Jetsons. Um, with like those bold out there it, it it was more of like just cut out animation yeah, but well done. yeah. so it's like very like you just see the hand move like the head stays still and like the mouth just that's why uh a lot of the characters had like mouthpieces mm-hmm. so like Yogi bear had this white piece uh um the flintstone uh fred flintstone had like that five o'clock shadow that wasn't a five yeah, o'clock yeah the, the line here yeah. from from his nose down yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like the smile lines that were permanent um so that was just to that for them to have the animation kind of move up and down um so that that was one thing that was very success successful for a lot of people and you know one thing that i, I always noticed watching uh like the old hanna-barbera stuff was the the repeating use of the backgrounds so when they would take off running and you would see the same background fly past a few times or even as a kid, I always noticed the uh, the reuse of an- I didn't know what, what to call it, but Disney does that a lot with their their character movement. Right. They'll have certain characters move a certain way or do a certain dance and you'll see that same exact movement happen in different movies with different characters. Yeah. 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 It was like in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, 70s 
I think it was just them trying to find a, a cheaper way. I, I'm sure there's a there's a video out there that explains why, but there's a it's just money wise what what costs less. Like it's already done. Yeah, you know, let's just do it. Well, um, speaking of money wise, the thing that I really love about animation or illustration, comic books in general is you're only limited by your imagination, right? So yeah. unlike filmmaking, where if you're going to tell the story, this epic story of these giant battles, or if you're going to tell the story of the fall of Tenochtitlan, or you're going to tell like Star Wars or something, you know, if you made a movie, you would need so much money that, you know, it's impossible to do it on your own. Whereas animation or comic books, you know, all of this software, all of these, you know, programs that are available have kind of democratized it and made it more accessible to where if you've got an idea, it's a lot more cost effective, you know, to draw this giant monster that you've imagined in your head instead of like, well, how are we going to do this in a movie, you know, in a live action movie animation? Your only your only limit is your imagination, right? You could tell all these stories. Yeah, man. And there's a lot of artists out there right now that. You know, uh, there's a group of artists uh, from Mexico. It's a team. Um, one of the main directors, uh, Humberto Erogoyen, and his crew of like, they all live around like, you know, all, you know, uh, I think they're all spread apart in South America. And they they do these like commercials on the side. And they did a, a commercial for Invisalign but the commercial, like they animated this whole crazy, like full on anime action uh, style with simplistic characters. And I was just like, this is for Invisalign? Like, oh my <laughs> God, this belongs in theaters. That, that's how gorgeous it is. And they just did it from home. And so like, we all have the filmmaking in our, at the, in the, you know, at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's all about imagination. But sometimes working in industry, um, you you do need to kind of collaborate with other animation studios. Yeah, for uh, sure. To animate your full your your episodes or movies or whatever it is, um, and sometimes you kind of hope that, like, hey, you know, we we talked about this this film that you know you, you thought it was gonna be grounded, but guess what? There's all kinds of crazy cool stuff in here, like. There's this fucking giant monster and there's all this kind of crazy stuff and colors and lights and everything. So can you still do it for the same price? But sometimes, <laughs> you know, obviously they're going to like, well, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah. So there's like a, a, a good like balance of having a good team that we could make sure we we give them every every shot they need. So it's a lot simpler for them to kind of just dive in there and start working or just do some doodles and like hey can you guys figure it out <laughs> but i always approach it as like hey let's let's be up front and be try to deliver whatever we need every pose every extra extra line of dialogue we need to add or, or backgrounds or anything that we need to add in their effects that way they know what we're doing or what we want and they don't have to second guess and like you know we don't want to go back and forth on retakes retakes are when they send final animation like oh hey that didn't work out like you know you know match this pose instead so i'll draw it live and we'll send it over to them Mm -hmm. so that's called a retake um well 
Cartoon Brew put out this article, I think a year ago, that got shared a lot online. Um, a celebration of the Mexican artists who helped create the American animation industry. And it goes through all of these names, you know, guys like Bill Melendez, um, whose, whose real name was like Cuauhtemoc, by yeah, the way, <laughs> which is badass. I wish he had, would have kept that name uh, professionally. But just learning that, man, there were like Mexican-Americans and Mexicans and Chicanos involved in the, in the film, in the animation industry, like since forever. But, yeah. you know, do you find yourself as, you know, on, on the, um, as a director, because you've, you've, you've started as a storyboard guy and then you, I guess, you know, you move up, right. Producer, director, are, are there fewer Chicanos now, like, do you encounter a lot of Chicanos or are you usually like the only Chicano in the room during some of these meetings? Um, before, so when I worked on Loud House, I worked on the first four seasons of Loud House as a storyboard artist. That's where I became a director at the end. Um, I was the only Latino board artist at the studio. Um, and we, you know, there's a few people that were peppered around, but, and then on the Loud House crew, I was, we, we had this really awesome artist named Sadie Figueroa, who's a color stylist. She makes sure all the characters, when she colors them, they don't blend into the background colors. So that's what a color stylist does. So it's very hard work. So she's amazing. And she has a good eye for that. And it was just her and I, and maybe three other people of color. So working in this industry was something that I noticed right off the bat was like, you know, whenever I walk into a room, I always look around and see like, all right, who I'm looking for the people of color or, you know, just looking for anyone that I could probably relate to. Cause I still stutter when I'm around white people. <laughs> uh, so I, it was always something that I never grew up. You know, I grew up in East LA. It was maybe outside of Mexico was one of the, most Mexican places outside of Mexico uh, in the 90s and 80s. Uh, so working in the industry, you get to work with people that are coming from all over the world and all over the United States. And it's it's kind of hard to find people that are local artists, you know, like local as like Californians. And that's one thing I noticed right off the bat. I was like, well, there's not that many people here. So I started this outreach program with Carson uh, Smith, who he didn't, I didn't start it. He, he approached me. I was like, Hey, do you want to go talk to some of these kids in Burbank, California? That's where our, our studio's at. And if you don't know what Burbank is, Burbank is on the other side of the Hollywood uh, sign. And that's where like a lot of industry people live either there or studio city. Um, so initially we're, I did a few of those classes or where I spoke to kids in, in classes and I always got the same remark from kids who were like, oh yeah, my dad does that stuff too. Like, oh, my dad's our screenwriter or, or like sh like shit like that. And I'm all, I was like, what the fuck? You know, like, why don't... These kids don't need my help. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there's some schools that uh, like off to the, the, like the foothills of Burbank that... I noticed like, well, there's a lot of brown kids here. That's cool. Like, so that was super helpful, like talking to them because I felt at home. 
So I told Carson and I was like, hey man, why can't we do this stuff to, you know, schools in East LA or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, even more East than that. Like people that don't know this industry. Cause I, growing up, I didn't know I could get a job in Hollywood. Like no one ever talked to me about this stuff. So like now that we have this opportunity, like let's go do this. Let's bring kids to the studio. Like, I don't want to go into their school. I want to bring kids over here. Let them mm-hmm. know, like, hey, this is a real job. We could actually do it. So I was doing them, like, once a week on top of my storyboarding duties. And I don't even, like, I, I was pretty late on a few episodes. But it was, <laughs> you know, for me, it was worth it because I was, you know, as long as I, I sparked one kid's, you know, mind to be like, I want to work in that in this industry, I did my job. And that was like the goal that Carson always set out to do. Like, as, as long as you're talking to 800 kids and there's only one kid that's like, I want to work in animation, like you, you're done, you're good. And I was doing that for, I still do it every once in a while. But one thing that when we were making Casa Grandes, um, I was in the room with all the Loud House crew and I, one of the first things I said was like, I want to get more uh, quote unquote brown people in this, in, in, in this crew and in this studio. Mm-hmm. And it was so quiet. Like everybody was like, <laughs> like so uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, like I'm sorry. what the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, so when I, then I had to ex- re-explain myself, I was like, well, I want to bring in more people to not only represent the show we're making, but also, if we're going to showcase uh, the the BIPOC people on the screen, I want them to be represented in the crew too. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things a producer told me was like, "Well, we just can't find them." And I was like, "Well, you're <laughs> you know you're just not asking the right people." The next day, I turned in 300 names, and out of the 300 names, we ended up hiring like 30. Nice. So. That was one of my first things that I wanted to bring into this industry and to the Nickelodeon was we need more people that like no excuses of like, oh, we just can't find them. You're just you need to work a little bit harder. Um, Now they call it uh, like, you know, now at Nickelodeon, like I think we're it's this industry is getting more diverse, which is awesome because what, what sucks is a lot of people don't get this opportunity all the time and we we have like these young creatives that just graduated college and people don't give them the same opportunity or if they do they they lowball them they pay them so less that's mm-hmm. one of the things i found out at this um one of the shows i was working on i'm not going to say which one that a lot of the brown people were getting paid less than some damn and so i i just you know that kind of worms opened up and you know luckily the, the studio that was at they they helped they they, they changed the course and like no we didn't make this right and you know at nick there's so many awesome people working at the studio that you know it's 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 getting bigger and better every day nice well so, i keep joking with you man we're going to turn it into nicolotitlan yeah <laughs> So, you I know, can't, I can't joke about that stuff because then they'll send me to uh, <laughs> Nickelodeon boarding school again. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, so, you know, being able to provide, first of all, that's badass that you were able to do that. And, but did you have any like mentors or people that were looking out for you? Like, were there any Chicanos or Mexican Americans or anybody that was like, Hey bro, I'm, I'm going to help you through this and help you navigate this. Or did you yeah. kind of have to figure it out on your own? Um, when I first started, like I reached out to Jorge Gutierrez, who's a creator of El Tigre. He also yeah, creator yeah. directed Book of Life and recently Mayan the Three on Netflix. Um, I would just reach out to him, and he he was an awesome dude. And just for him to reach out back meant so much to me. Even though like I didn't meet him in person until like four years ago at Nickelodeon, and he's always someone that I talk to here and there. Like he'll give me ins and outs, like what to do and how to self-promote myself because that's one thing that I never did I was kind of like I don't want to be that person that's like hey I'm posting every day type of person but I see how it kind of it's kind of beneficial to like just put your name out there yeah for I sure still got to work on it though but um he was an awesome person and then the other person was Eric Robles who created Fanboy and Chum Chum and then he also had over at Nickelodeon was Glitch Text that came out on netflix and he was the only chicano at the studio that was uh in the producer role and even on the loud house when i helped develop casa grandes i i kind of i i didn't have representation at all when i did this so i was hoping just because you know people were were cool and not assholes they would keep me along on the ride and like, Hey Miguel, like since you pitched your family, like this is your family. There's some, you know, this is some cool stuff. Like the two writers that I worked with, I'm gonna give a shout out to them, Sammy uh, Crowley and Whitney Weta. They were so amazing that they, they took what I, what I pitched and they made the, what the Casa Grande was also like, it's a collaboration. We're all pitching ideas. They, they, we all worked together to make this awesome thing for one of the, it was at first it was like a one-off episode for Loud House. And after we pitched the episode um, to the network, they, they loved it. I was like, Hey, this could be a potential, you know, spinoff show, but let's kind of pepper some more episodes in the, in yeah. the seasons. So I was like, all right, cool. And like in my head, I was like, I'm going to get to collaborate and, and work with them again no, they kept me out of it, and and they they made sure I never I didn't you know I didn't have any part of it because I was like, well, why why can't I do it? I'm like the yeah. only final here. Like I did pitch this idea, and I'm the reason why Ronnie Ann is Latina because <laughs> the creator of Loud House, I, I saw what Ronnie Ann was gonna look like. She was gonna look like a redheaded girl with the yellow trench coat, and I was like, because she was only referenced before, right? Yeah, she. I, the first episode I ever worked on was uh, Heavy Metal, and she was only referenced. She was never shown, and she was like a bully to uh, to Lincoln, but it was because she had a crush on him. And when I finally saw what he had in mind for Ronnie Anna, I, at this time, I already had my daughter. She was like about, maybe about one years old. And I was like, wait, why can't she be Latina? Like, we only have one other Latino person, and it's Bobby. So, like, you know, why don't we make it like a bigger thing and then they made Ronnie Ann Bobby's sister so there's only one Latino family yeah who ended up moving away um but <laughs> it was one of those things that kind of I went to Eric Robles to talk to and he 
he he he called it out the way it was going to go down and 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 unfortunately i, I kind of got screwed with that and you know there's a there's been a whole inve- investigation and um and and just like a lot of talks a lot of interviews and now that's why i became uh casa grande is i became developed by and i became the co-ep on the series and ep being executive producer executive producer so that's one thing that it took a while to get but you know but that's huge like you don't see a lot of chicano executive producers in any you know aspect of the film industry yeah that seems like a a huge rarity it it was and it it was something I fought for like very like hard and you know I I I spoke to Eric Robles and Jorge Gutierrez they all like cheered me on they all like they were like dude you got to fight for it um even Jorge invited me to hop on my end three when we were at at a point where uh, Casa Grande was maybe going to get made into a, a spinoff show or maybe not. And I said, like, no, you know what? You do your thing. I'm going to try to stay stay here and do my thing. Mm-hmm. Even though I should have left, you know, because the way I was being treated, the way I was not being invited to those, deci- the, the table where all the decisions were made. Um, yeah. It was something well, that was... was when, I, when I first got involved... <clears throat> On, on the projects that, that you brought me on, I remember, I can't remember, one of the writers, I was I was watching uh, videos because I'm the kind of guy that, you know, when I'm going to get involved with something, I research the hell out of it and I jump in yeah. like 100%. So I was watching all of these uh, Nickelodeon videos that they have about the process of storytelling, how stories are told at Nickelodeon, the five-act structure, you know, all of these different things. What a, you know, the button, how you use a button in the stories and all that. So I'm like, I, I don't want to look like a pendejo in, you know, in these meetings and like, what the hell are you guys talking about? So I researched everything and there was this one writer who she said, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more than having a place at the table. It's, it's having our own table. Right. Yeah. And that, that really, you know, made me happy to hear that because that's kind of been my, you know, idea as well, growing up in the Chicano movement as like this punk rock kid, you know, the DIY aesthetic, you know, just do it yourself. That was the thing that, that my mom always pushed on me. Like, and I would say, how come there's no Chicano comic books? And she'd be like, well, make one, you know, how come there's no, no, well, make one. What are you waiting for? You don't need any, you don't need anybody's permission to do it. Just do it. And that kind of drove me. So hearing that come from this writer at Nickelodeon, I was like, hell yeah. So it made me excited, even more excited to be a part of this process, right? Was it Rebecca Delgado? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. Who yeah, you should have on this talk because she's, she'll talk your ear off on all the ins and outs of industry stuff. Like I, you know, uh, she's amazing. And we, we actually worked together on the same thing that we're yeah. working up. Um, but she, yeah, it's it's something that helped me out a lot, and and the support with uh, with some of the Chicanos um, that I got to work with was they all kept pushing me and like, dude, you got to do this on your own. Um, you got to or you got to get representation, fight for this stuff, 
And then when I found out that they weren't going to give me any uh, consulting duties on the Casa Grandes, they're... It's like a slap in the face. That was like a bigger slap in the face. And then they're like, well, do you know anyone that could be a consultant? And I was like, yeah. So I, 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 I've heard of him. I knew he was a big old troublemaker. And, I, and like I needed a bigger <laughs> asshole in there to get in trouble. So <laughs> I, I called up Lalo Alcaraz and he came in. Shout out Lalo. Okay, kick out, kicked open doors and, and got in trouble more than I did. And it, it, he was like a soup. Like when he came in, it was something that I was already a big fan of his. Um, and it was something that I knew it was like, well, now that there's two of us in here, like we're, they can't they can't kick us out like we're, we're yeah something special and it's gonna be we're like brown voltron yeah and <laughs> the, the the mexican uh brown power rangers uh <laughs> and it was between him and i we we were going back and forth with some of the writers room on the loud house there's not one person of color in that room but you know there was a lot of support for us and we would go, we would clash our heads with, with um, you know, some of the higher ups. And there's always this this thing was like, you know, it's not. We 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 we, we don't want to alienate anybody else in this industry. I was like, well, yeah, we're not gonna or in this in the audience, like, so we we had to make sure we went with the approach of making it universal for everyone. Mm-hmm. And between Lalo and the writers and I, um, we got it to where it was at. And it was very like, we were tiptoeing in those Loud House episodes. But when it got to the Casa Grande episodes, it was like a full-on documentary inside a Mexican-American home. It was like, yeah. hey, you know, what'd you do for Chris? Or like, what'd, how'd you do work on this? And I was like, hey, we did this and we did that. And that's how we pitched episodes. Um, at first, it was like, oh, hey, cultural episodes. We had like two or three per, in season one. And we always heard the same thing. Like, well, we already did one like that. We already did a cultural <laughs> episode. I was like, yeah. It's like, you know, this is like our day-to-day lives. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you just can't say abuela like 13 times in an episode and make it. Yeah. Up. Well, I, I remember. Do you remember the old Incredible Hulk cartoon no. Uh, it was Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends, and then they had the Incredible Hulk. I've seen it. And, I've seen it a couple times. And there were like, there was a Chicana in it, right? There was like these uh, Mexican characters in it, and it would always bug the hell out of my parents because I would watch it because I was like, there are no other brown people on TV. I'm going to yeah. watch <laughs> the Hulk. Plus, I loved the Hulks. But I remember uh, the dad, he would always say, Mija. My daughter, yeah. like they would directly translate after everything they said, and it bugged the shit out of my parents yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, that's that was one of our, our rules, like not to make it like Dora. You go, yeah, Ben Aki, come here. You know, it was always Ben Aki will do a hand signal, and that was it. Yeah, there's other ways to do it, right? And then you yeah. see what happens. Yeah, so the kids who don't anybody who doesn't speak Spanish, then they're like, Oh, well, obviously that's what that means. It's not, you know, I mean, come on, people watch movies where people are speaking Elvin 
and orc yeah. and stuff without <laughs> subtitles. You know, yeah. they figured it out. They can do it with Mexicans. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and kids are hungry. Kids are hungry yeah. to learn because kids are like sponges. So they want to learn this stuff. Like when we would test some of these episodes out, we had kids that were like in like Wisconsin talking about like, oh, yeah, my, my best friend is is uh, Mexican. And I remember seeing her mom having chanclas under her bed. <laughs> And it looked like they could hurt, and it, it like little <laughs> things like that. that I was like, oh, "Yeah, that's funny." You know, she she was cool about it. She was excited, and that's one thing that <clears throat> kids want to see themselves represented on TV. Well, I'll tell you what, my nephew yeah. Christopher loves the Casa Grandes. Nice. So awesome. shout out Christopher. Ooh, thank you, Christopher. <laughs> um, kids are kids are hungry to see themselves represented on TV, and they can smell right away, just like that Hulk uh, cartoon, if it's authentic or not. Mm-hmm. You could tell when it's something like, oh, this is cool. And then you, na- you see all the names. I'm like, oh, wait, which white people? But yeah. And, well, and, that was the cool thing about that turning red was like yeah, the, the Pixar, just watching the credits afterwards and just seeing all the names. And I'm like, that's damn, a- that's why it worked. That's why it worked so well. Yeah. Have, have you watched Miss Marvel? I haven't started it yet. It's it's amazing. Like we we all watch it as a family, and it's it's about a Pakistani family, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel left out. I feel like wow, this is cool. I feel like it's so the the way it's shot, the way it's like they introduce the culture and everything. You know, like yeah, they 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 have subtitles here and there, but it's still like it's funny. Like they, yeah. Characters remind me of my family. Well, authenticity, you know, creates that that connection, right? Like you feel connected to something if it's authentic, yeah. even if you're not from that culture. You see those similarities, and you could sense the authenticity, and it makes it more meaningful and impactful. Like people always talk about representation, like that's the big thing, you know. Representation matters, and it does. But it has to be authentic. Yeah. It's like you said, people can, kids especially, they could sniff it out. Yeah, and it has to be authentic all around. In the writer's room, we, we need that safe space in that room so artists could feel like they they could share their, their most intimate stories that are going to make this awesome episode. Even if it's just a nugget of an mm-hmm. idea, it's something that's going to just make it feel awesome, man. That's what that's one thing we need in those rooms, and it's kind of hard to get because you know you have different egos, different personalities come in, and a lot of the people are like I'm the best writer here. Huh? So yeah. it, 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 there's a lot of clash, there's a lot of separations in those rooms, um, but you know you also need the full support of your your higher ups as well, even if they question every little thing. Um, you got to re-explain it over and over and over again. Like sometimes that takes half your day of re-explaining what, you know, a, a huitlacoche is or, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> but as long as people are willing to learn, that's even better. Cause that's one thing my approach was always like, I don't want to obviously make these episodes um, universal, but I'm doing it for the kids that want to learn. If we're yeah. making cartoons for kids that only want to stick to one thing and just like have tunnel vision for one thing, I was like, 
they could watch something else on a different network. Mm-hmm. Like this where we're going now, we're making everything for everyone. Um, and I hope one day, like, you know, Casa Grande is, sparks another, you know, BIPOC kid to tell their own story. And hopefully they end up working at Nickelodeon or some other studio. And they end up doing that because, like, they saw, you know, Casa Grande, just as, as I, I was inspired by watching cartoons as a kid, like, you know, watching Rocco's Martin Life and, and seeing how funny it was. And in Rocco, there's a character, the big heads that live next door to Rocco. Their son worked in the animation industry and he had like this really popular cartoon. And I, I connected with that. I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's what mm-hmm. I want to do. Um, and so it's stuff like that. Like, there's all kinds of cartoons out there that I still watch today with my daughter. Like, even though my daughter is so busy on her phone now, she's yeah. nine, she'll be nine in a couple months, but it's always like, hey, let's sit down and just watch cartoons. Well, you know what I really enjoyed doing, and it was always big in my family, was sitting down and watching um, Looney Tunes. Yeah. They're so funny. And then the backgrounds on some of those episodes are like modern art masterpieces. Like you could just take one of the backgrounds and frame it and throw it up on a wall and people would be like, whoa, what is that? Yeah. And not even know, well, this was a background from, you know, Duck Dodgers or something. Yeah, Maurice Noble. Uh, yeah one of the painters like amazing and like these these people went to like university and they studied in like paris and stuff and they're making backgrounds for cartoons but there's so much there's like this visual language and all those backgrounds that just help you focus your 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 where the director or the filmmakers want you to focus on and yeah there's this language in there that um that it's something that I love and I love to do to this day is like, how do I want the audience to feel about this scene? Or how do I want the audience to kind of feel about this character at this moment in time? Like, you know, I always use the phrase, like I want the kids to be on their edge of their butt on this scene. So that's, that's something yeah. where I want to go big, like something epic, especially third acts. We got to crank it up and like, what are kids going to do? Or how are they going to feel? I always yeah. try to, whenever I'm drawing or whenever I'm, I'm picking out shots. Um, I I try to put myself in, you know, ten year old Miguel, and seeing what I would want to see when I was ten, and that's always yeah. my approach. Is like, how do I impress myself? How do I? Do well, that? you you yeah. sent me like a <clears throat> a rough animatic of something from one of the projects we were doing, and it blew me away like it, it like sent chills down my spine i was like oh shit i want this to exist now so and i gotta tell you man i've i've always felt supported by you like i've always felt like you had my back um on these projects so i really appreciate that because it it means something even though i'm an old man i'm not a young up-and-comer but no i'm i'm i i don't switch codes i don't i don't like uh this is who I try to be for everyone. Uh, like, even if you're just starting out or you've been in the industry, like I'm always someone that's, I try to support everyone that I can, as long as you're not an asshole, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's something that I'm always, because we're, we're making, we're working in this industry. We're making stuff that it's, this is our dreams, you know? 
these, this is our dreams that we've been dreaming of as a kid. And now that we're actually doing it, it doesn't feel like work. And that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's always for me, it's always like we made it, but how do we make our dreams even bigger? How do we add more to this? Like what's our next step? Like it's always for me, like planning the next goal. Like what, what I want to work on, like a movie, a feature maybe, um, or, you know, get into live action. Probably not, but that's what, that's something I, I eventually want to get my foot, foot in just so I could, you know, just have every opportunity to do whatever I always wanted to do and just entertain people. And not only entertain them, but maybe, you know, put a mark in this industry of like, hey, this is, this is how I was growing up in Boyle Heights, or this is how mm-hmm. it is in a Mexican-American home, or, you know, this is how it is, uh, you know, it, it, some Mesoamerican history in there, or even telling, like, simple stories of, you know, j- just these fun little things that are just going to inspire more kids. Yeah, so speaking of inspiring kids, if for all the Chicanos, Chicanas, Chicanex kids out there, or even, you know, the older kids listening right now, if you had one piece of advice to give them, what would it be? Um, probably keep drawing, keep building your dreams up because everyone that that is working in some type of field of whoever you're looking up at, if it's a basketball player, a senator, or um, Curly, or, or a director uh, like, you know, Steven Spielberg, they all had, they all started with the dream. And so find out how they got to that dream. Like it was either they they worked hard or what school they went to or what they had, what opportunities they had in front of them. <clears throat> that was one thing that I did when I first started off was how did, you know, Gendy Tartoski work in animation and he's a creator of Samurai Jack and mm-hmm. he went to Cal Arts. You know, he, he always drew, he came from, he was an immigrant from Russia. He came down here with his family and then he went to CalArts, he watched cartoons. That's how he learned how to speak English. And, you know, at the same time, like I, I, I just remember like with my dad, you know, uh, we would watch Looney Tunes or Tom and Jerry because they didn't speak in, or in, in Tom and Jerry, they didn't speak English. So it was mm-hmm. something that it could be a universal cartoon for everyone. And just laughing and seeing that is something that I always worked hard on. And um, so that was my dream. And every opportunity that I could do is I would draw. And even if if it means as an artist, you have a small sketchbook in your car, have a small sketchbook in your, your room, in the bathroom, anywhere, put, put down your phone every now and then, and just sketch, you know. I still do that from now. Like, even if it's like small little doodles, I don't know if you're going to show this, but they look like boxes, but those are their, their characters there. I'm just blocking out shots in my head. Um, But it's something that one of the advices I could do is just find out how your, your heroes got to where they're at and maybe I'm not saying you, you could follow in their steps, but at least you know there's a path. Yeah. And and there's a path in anything, you know. Just like in Marvel, Marvel Comics, that's why I got into Marvel Comics is 
everything felt grounded. Everything felt like I could get bit by a radioactive uh, spider. You know, I wasn't born like a super mega rich millionaire and become Batman or I come from another planet. Although sometimes I wish I was like, man, did I come from another? <laughs> but <clears throat> it just felt like something that that was reachable that I could do. Mm -hmm. And I always had that mentality. I was like, it's just 12 minutes away. Hollywood's just 12 minutes away from my house. Like, I'm going to work there. So set those goals. Set, like, even if you're, you know, you're, you're just a few states away or across uh, another country or another, you know, East, East Coast, there's so much opportunity. And, you know, if you ever want to work in this industry, reach out to me. I, I'm, I'm pretty approachable. Even though it'll take me a while to get back to you, but I'll, I'll make sure I always reach back to whoever hits me up. I'm going to put your phone number in the yeah. show notes. So, <laughs> <No. laughs> so real quick, I got one last question for you, then I'll let you go. Cool. Um, as a Chicano in animation, Speedy Gonzalez, yes or no? No. No? You don't like Speedy Gonzalez? I mean... He was all right. Here's the thing. He was fine. He was funny because I grew up in a Mexican community. Like I, I grew up with, all my life hearing people that like not not hearing people that talk like that. But when I did, I was like, "Yeah, he's feeling Gonzalez." <laughs> but when I got to college and it was not as diverse and people talking like Speedy Gonzalez, I was like, "Wait, no, that's not right, dude!" Like, come yeah, it was like the whole Dave Chappelle approach of. Like doing it in a mocking way, you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And when I, you know, I had that Chicano, East L.A., blood in, blood out accent growing up. And it, it comes in and out of here and there. But I think I, I've been jaded working <laughs> in the industry <laughs> that I kind of lost it. But I, it still comes out once in a while. But I remember... People just coming up to me like, hey, what's up? Like, what's up, homie? And I was like, I'm not your homeboy. Like, what the fuck? Don't call me homie. <laughs> or, or they'll just like sit, speaking like the, the Speedy Gonzalez or or his his primo. Slowpoke. Yeah, Slowpoke. <laughs> hey, um, Who always looked high, by the way. Slowpoke Rodriguez, high. I think, was yeah. supposed to be high all the time. <laughs> I actually have a shirt of him with the blood. Um, <laughs> But he was always high, and that's one thing that I was just like, "All right, are you mocking me?" And, yeah, right. And so that's why I'm I I like I don't have anything against Speedy Gonzalez, but it was you know now if you it could definitely it, be used to to belittle and mock people for sure, yeah, especially I was one of the tallest Chicanos. <laughs> <laughs> in the school and so i was like fuck you i'm not short like i'm tall uh, my whole family's tall so it was uh, yeah you're a tall dude man i remember when we when we met in person i was like damn this dude's tall <laughs> I got a big i'm also very short though even for a chicano i'm pretty short i got the the old like maceta though <laughs> but yeah. Well, right on, man. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to, to talk to me and uh, hopefully inspire some people out there, you know, to pursue their dreams, whatever they might be, whatever industry 
they might want to work in because, you know, representation does matter and it matters most when we're representing ourselves, right? That's true. And there's a great, there's this great thing uh, called, I know you don't like the name, Curly, but Latinx and animation. <laughs> uh, they have, they work with so many other groups, uh, especially La Leaf, which is Latinos. Um, in, I don't even know what it actually means, but it's, it's Edward James Olmos, um, Rafael Agustin, and they're, they're all, they all work in live action and they all have like these Latino film festival. They just had one like maybe two months ago or two weeks ago. Um, but it's great opportunity to find that stuff out and figure out like, wow, there's so many of us working, you know, and hopefully the more we have this, the more we have more people come into this industry. Like our names are going to be in the big blockbuster movies. And yeah. And for everybody, you know, who is <clears throat> in the industry or who wants to get into the industry, we, we really need to knock it off where we're, um, so hypercritical of each other yeah. and so eager to like, you know, cause one of the first things that happened when I got into stunts, you know, and I'd, I'd wanted to be a stunt man and I got into it and I'm making all these cool shows and right away online, I see like, Oh, Curly's a vendido. So <laughs> yeah. like, geez, thanks for the support guys. It's only been like my dream, but thank you very much for supporting yeah. this dream of mine. I've always been called the white Mexican Oh, really? Um, and it was always sitting like, what the fuck? Fuck you. Goes, I'm doing more for our, the cultura than you are. What are you doing? Working at UPS? No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with you. Working I know. There's nothing wrong Shout with you. Shout out UPS. But, but uh, <laughs> it, it was always something that I always grew up with because my mom was light skinned. My dad um, was, you know, yeah, yeah, the Buddha, Pichabla, red skin. Uh, mm -hmm. And. I, I came out looking like my dad, but with my mom's skin color and, and colored eyes, and my brothers were all like darker than me. And every time, even playing as a kid, we all picked our skin tone on the crayons, and they would always give, give me the either beige or pink. And I was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, bro, I want to thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast and uh, talk with us about Chicanos in Animation. Hopefully, we're going to get to announce the two projects that we are working on at Nickelodeon very soon because I'm super excited for people to finally see them. And for our listeners, I want to say Tlaskamati. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, please consider going to talesfromastlantis.com or chimali.org and signing up as a Patreon supporter. Starting at three bucks a month, you're gonna get ad-free episodes, you'll get premium episodes only for our Patreon supporters, you'll get access to our Discord community, and a bunch of other cool stuff. So until next time, this has been Curly Tlapoyawa with special guest, Miguel Puga. And remember, the truth is like medicine. It doesn't always taste good, but it's always good for you. Thank you for listening to Tales from Astlantis, a project of the Chimali Institute of Mesoamerican Arts. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do this by visiting talesfromastlantis.com and clicking support the podcast. 
Your continued support will help keep the podcast ad-free and independent. Until next time, Timo Itase.